Hey everyone, welcome to Love, Rinse, Repeat, a podcast recorded on the unceded sovereign lands of the Gayamago people by me, Liam Miller. He, him, he's a minister in the Uniting Church in Australia. I am joined today by um, Shannon Crago Snell. Shannon, welcome along. Thank you. It's, I'm glad to be here. It's great to have you. For those who don't know, Shannon is Professor of Theology at Louisville Presbyterian Theological Seminary and is also the Associate Academic Dean there. Today we're going to talk about her book, The Empty Church. Theatre, Theology and Bodily Hope, which is out with Oxford University Press. And I, well, you're going to hear why you should check it out, but I'm going to affirm it up front that you should really check out this book. Um, we actually did it, Shannon, I didn't mention this, we did it as part of a, uh, one of our kind of a PhD reading group uh, that I'm a part of. We were, we were reading through it. Um, and yeah, it was, we really found it like such a, 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 an engaging and fresh and, and just such a well-written uh, book um, it particularly appeals to me because of my own intersections of theatre and theology and, and, and passion for theatre. So I guess, you know, maybe as a way into a bit of an overview of what you were, what you're getting up to in the book, I guess maybe we can start with is where did the idea to bring those two into conversation, bring theatre and church or theatre and theology into conversation and how did that kind of, I guess, take the shape of this particular uh, project? Sure. Um, first, thank you for your kind words about the book. I'm always thrilled when people read it, and <laughs> even better if they find it engaging. This is actually what I wanted to write for my undergraduate thesis. Okay. I was a theater studies major and an English major, and I was also a church person. Yeah. And I read Peter Brooks' The Empty Church. It's like, the, the empty space, um, which is a description of theater, I thought, mm. wow, this is the best description of church I've read. Now, of course, as an undergraduate, I didn't have the knowledge or the skill to write something like this, but that's mm. when it started percolating. Yeah. Um, I had applied for graduate schools in theater programs, mm. and at the last minute, decided to go to um, seminary instead, to go to divinity school. Mm. So, but it had always been there. The first thing I ever published was part of this book, uh, an essay called Command Performance, where mm. I compared what happens in church and what happens in theater. Not just to say, hey, these two are like each other, mm. but to say, if these two things are like each other, what can we learn from the people doing theater? And what might we know that could be useful to them in return? Not that a lot of theater folks are gonna read this book, but I think there is a wealth of knowledge and experience that people interested in the church and interested in theology can learn from theater studies and performance studies. Yeah, and, and something that I really loved about the book is that, and you kind of draw this out early on, that, you know, there's two, plenty of theology works have drawn on theatre in an analogical way. Like, obviously, Balthazar is, is key to that, but, but Calvin talks, you know, the theatre of God's creation, you know, and, and there's lots of others more recently also, but but it often is this kind of just a broad analogy that kind of like, you know, has a kind of a, a you know, a kind of schema of drama of you know, speech and act and well, isn't that sort of what we do and there's this kind of engagement. So but what you draw out is you're taking this kind of analytic approach as well where exactly trying to say what can we 
understand from the way these kind of theatre practitioners and theatre scholars have approached what they do um, and how might they actually illuminate and shape um, and provoke us to think differently about, I mean, I guess that central question in the book, why church? Um, so I really like that you kind of, you know, actually wrestle with that and allow the theatre stuff to actually going kind to of push the, the theological questions or the considerations of the theological questions. Yeah, thanks. Um, the structure of the book is after introducing some things about performance studies and uh, ecclesiology, I then bring together in pairs mm. a theater director and a theologian. And obviously they're paired because they might have something to say to each other. Mm. Some of them have a, a lot in common, like theologian Letty Russell and yeah. director Augusto Boal. Some of them would really disagree with each other, like Karl Barth and Peter Brook. Mm. Um, and I find those, those conversations illuminating, to let them kind of argue it out a bit on the page. Yeah. Well, maybe jumping into one of those, one that I thought was so, like one of my favourite chapters was probably the one on Brecht and Dolores Williams, um, which, which I really loved. And I think what was so illuminating there is you're taking Brecht's concept of alienation um, and you're kind of, you're thinking about like Dolores Williams writes this you know, incredible work of Christology that, that poses these like fundamental questions about how we consider the cross uh, and whether it can be salvific and, and, and whether sacrifice can be good. And you're kind of wrestling with the fact that like this incredible work has been engaged with by lots, but there aren't, like you can't list this long line of people who have now just gone, yeah, we totally align with what Williams has said. We're taking yeah. it up whole clock. Most people wrestle with it and then still go, but this about the cross, like, you know, um, James Cone's a good example of that, like engages really strongly with that critique, but then still wants to show something here. And I guess what you gain by thinking about Brecht's concept of alienation is bringing that kind of understanding to thinking about what Williams does with the cross is this, this act of alienation that then we can have. So then how do we think about that in how we become alienated from the cross in our liturgies um, and in our, in our church life? Um, in this positive sense. So perhaps you could talk to us a bit about, about that and, and just how you feel that, you know, as an example of how the theatre kind of speak and work and theory opens up a new way of appreciating and, and wrestling with this kind of um, theological work. Sure. So Bertolt Brecht, as a director, wanted, he was wary of people just having an emotional response to a play. He was aware that people could identify with characters, get caught up in the story, feel certain ways, and then leave. <laughs> and what he wanted was to make sure that people's intellect was engaged. So one of the things that I really emphasize throughout the book is theater addresses the whole person. And mm. I develop a kind of performative theological anthropology. And I name intellect, emotion, body, and volition as at least four aspects of the self. I'm not saying that's all there is, but I'm saying that liturgy at its best addresses all of those, uses all of those parts of the self and, and integrates them in a mm. coherent way. So different chapters are addressing parts of that. But Brecht in particular was worried that the way theater generally worked engaged the emotions, but not the intellect. 
and not the will. Mm. He wanted the audience member to have to make a decision so that when they leave the theater, they've had an emotional experience, they've had an intellectual experience, and they've made a choice. So he would do these crazy things like, you know, have a have a person who's just been horrifically attacked crossing the stage and then have a clown laughing at them or different things that were jarring to Mm. make the familiar strange stop the accustomed emotional response, interject both an intellectual, what is that, and a need to make a choice. So I've been teaching Dolores Williams texts for years Mm. and the response is so strong Mm. i once had a a mdiv student block the door and not let me leave um, because he wanted to talk about this and it was one of the few times in my teaching career when i felt physically unsafe Mm. Um, and it just hit him at such a visceral level the cross with which he was so familiar and so accustomed to think of one way, that familiar story object way of being had been interrupted mm. by Dolores Williams and made strange to him. Um, part of what Brecht does in uh, the process of alienation is not take away your familiar understanding and offer you a new one right away. Mm, mm. He leaves you in that place where you have to figure out, what am I going to do with this? And while Williams does offer some clues to how she puts her Christian faith back together in a new way, she doesn't say, oh, here's your totally new understanding of the cross that's going to fit really nicely in your already mm. already uh, accepted theology is going to be great. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the responses that students often have. They say, she took away my cross, but she didn't give me anything back. Mm. Well, that in and of itself is a theological intervention yeah. that makes the cross strange. And surely if there's anything that should always be strange to us, it's the cross. Mm. Yes. So yeah. the the thing for me was Brecht helped me name what Williams is doing. Mm. And then I start thinking, okay, so how can we do that in church? How can we interrupt in our liturgies, pat emotional responses, accustomed ways of thinking about Christology and have people have to make choices and wrestle intellectually yeah yeah i think that's that's so helpful and important i think yeah i really really appreciated that um so you talked a bit about then about your you know this kind of performative anthropology and a performative hermeneutic that runs through the book and so you kind of engage early on kind of you know this broad somewhat amorphous concept of performance and, and you kind of specify down that when you're talking about it you're talking like event interaction and doubleness um, and I really want to focus on that last one, on, on doubleness, because I think that's very helpful um, in that, you know, the both we are and are not the church um, and and how that kind of runs through. So, uh, and then I want to kind of take that in a couple of spots, but maybe you could just talk to us a bit about 
yeah, what your what doubleness is kind of implying here and how that shapes how you're thinking both of the event of performance and and and, and the church. So this is a concept that I take up from Richard Schechner, more specifically from Marvin Carlson, and most specifically from Richard Bauman. When we perform something, um, in Bauman's words, we are, well, I'm paraphrasing, we are doing something in um, tension with a remembered or aimed for ideal. Mm -hmm. Um, So examples of this would be uh, you have someone figure skating and they have in their mind the last time this, they did this when they really messed it up and what it would look like perfectly. So their performance is all done in relationship to this other that it both is and is not. Yeah. Um, when I first got married, suddenly I was a daughter-in-law and I was trying to figure out how to be a daughter-in-law. Mm-hmm. And so what is the ideal or remembered role that I'm mm-hmm. acting there? It's a way of describing performance that isn't inauthentic, rather it's becoming, but it's always in that state of becoming. And the, the, the quote in performance studies about this is that Olivier both was and was not Hamlet. Mm. Um, he completely embodied Hamlet. He was the best Hamlet ever. He still wasn't Hamlet. <laughs> and so that is and is not, or the space of the double negative. He is not, not Hamlet. Mm. That is what doubleness indicates in performance studies. For me, there are so many theological concepts of that. We are in the already, not yet. We, there is the church visible and invisible. We are sinners and saints. That tension between we are and we are not. We're mm. not not the church, but are we the church that we're aiming for? Oh, no. We, all these lofty ideals about what the church is, that we're the herald of Christ, that we're the sacrament, that we are um, this the space of proclamation of love and grace for all. Well, yeah, but no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was interesting. So just before I read your book, I was I read Lauren Winner's The Dangers of Christian Practice, which um, is looking at this kind of this turn to practice in so much theology and saying, but like, let's actually look at the historical record. There are characteristic, this idea of characteristic damage within particular kind of Christian acts, like, like baptism, like communion, um, like prayer that have caused, you know, terrible atrocities, you know, in history. And so then it was interesting when I came um, in, in reading in your chapter, Changing Scenes, you're kind of also having this talk about this, of this kind of a lot of the weight that gets put on Eucharistic performance um, mm-hmm. as this thing that will just always lead us to, into virtuous neighbour love and, um, Kind of thing, and and I guess you, you, you know, and you're kind of working with Cone and and you know and and kind of like pushing on this idea that those who went out and performed lynchings were also performing communion, and perhaps there's not just this really clean gap between those two things. Uh, and so you have this question: um, Does Christian liturgical performance 
always necessarily work to good effect. Um, and then, and, and you're kind of pushing on that, that maybe not. And I guess why I'm bringing it up here is that the concept of doubleness also can help here. And this idea of church as a performance um, helps us to wrestle with these times when when liturgy has been so ill-performed or, or, or has led to such, you know, um, ill-formation that it then that causes this, this violence. And, and so this is a way into that where you go, yeah, we don't just kind of have this practice always good, um, right. but also there's reasons to still do it and engage and try. Um, yeah, the, the doubleness of performance is a way into this kind of um, conversation. Yes, because we do do so much harm. And early in the book, I draw on Ignatius and others to talk about formation isn't something without say it, it it's dangerous mm. if you're not really clear about what you're forming yourselves for and to. And right now, always, but maybe especially right now in an attention economy, there are people making so much money off forming us to their desires, forming our desires, forming our bodies, forming everything about us. Yeah. So liturgy can be a time and space where we say, right now, we are going to intentionally form ourselves based on what we know of God through scripture in Jesus, in hope of the spirit. We're going to try and form ourselves this way. Mm. That doesn't mean that uh, uh, a whole lot of church, you know, white Protestant church in the United States, that's what I can speak of in this moment, has it formed itself primarily in, um, in a mode of white nationalism or white supremacy? Or I said primarily, and obviously I don't mean that. I still believe in the mm. church. But I have to honestly say, a whole lot of what we form ourselves for looks nothing like grace mm. and mm. hope, faith, hope, and love. A whole yeah. lot of what we form ourselves for looks nothing like grace, faith, hope, and love. Cone, and this is really fascinating to me, um, Cone says the people who, the white Christians who lynched black men, women, and children, they weren't really Christian. And that's true, mm -hmm. but it's also not. Mm. I can't say that as a white Christian because mm. I have to wrestle with the fact that those are my ancestors. Those are, that is my tradition. And to say, well, they weren't really Christian. I mean, he's got a point. Absolutely. But from my perspective, I can't say, oh, they weren't really Christian, but now we are, and <laughs> yes. imagine that our hands are clean. So the idea of doubleness helps hold together the reality that you could list, you, you could list all the wonderful things that church is intended to be mm. and is sometimes. And that's not an accurate statement about who we are. Mm. And you could list all the horrible things that Christians have done in history. And that's not the whole truth of, of who we are. You have to have them together, this notion of doubleness. Yeah. Oh, thank you for that. That's really helpful. Uh, so what, one thing I want to, uh, that I really liked also in the book, so like as someone who's read a lot of scripts, so say I, I, I hear about a great show over in the U.S. and it, it's unlikely it's going to be performed here. 
So maybe I'll order the script and I'll read the script to get a feel for what it is. But, you know, a script isn't a play. Um, a, a script, as you would say, like, you know, it calls out for a performance. It, it needs to be completed in, in a performative act, like in, in a whole other thing. And then, and then you draw this out to then think, well, scripture too calls out for a performance. There is a an incompleteness inherent in the nature of scripture, and that's not a bad thing, right? Scripture being incomplete right. is because if there were just Bibles on tables all over the place but no one ever actually thought about how that should shape their lives, scripture is is you know, not doing anything. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I really love this. And, again, it's that kind of acknowledging a fuller understanding of drama that there's not like, you know, that, that a script in itself is not the thing. Um, yeah. it, it's, it's something that asks for more. Um, and so, yeah. So can you, can you talk to a bit about this, this, this incompleteness of the script slash scripture and, and I guess what that then leads to in, in how we actually should engage it. So um, I've got three kids and in our family, there's a, there's a rule. You can't see the movie until you've read the book. <laughs> um, but the same is not true for a play. I was commending to a friend of mine um, the play, the the Lehman trilogy. Mm-hmm. I saw it in London. It was one of the most stunning performances I've seen. And um, it's in the U.S. now. And, but my friend doesn't live in New York. She said, maybe I could read it. I'm like, no. Don't, don't read it. I want you to see it first. There is enormous value in a script, but it is intended to be interpreted um, by a group. So communally interpreted in a way that is embodied and emotional and relational and has choices in it. So it's the whole self, um, the whole community involved in this bringing together this communal meaning making that is deeply tied to the script but Mm -hmm. isn't just the script it's how it is performed comes to be Mm -hmm. one of the elements of performance theory that I find compelling and is just uh, accepted by so many in academia now which is I'm happy about is that performance is creative, that it makes new things. Um, And the performance of a script can make new things that are, can make new realities. And the performance of scripture can too. And I think the performative lens helps move us away from the idea that the meaning of the Bible is in the words on the page or in the the thoughts in the head of the reader and more towards in a communal and embodied whole person interpretation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what I also like in, in when you're drawing that out is this idea, it's not this linear process of script interpretation performance um, that happens in three kind of distinct stages. It's, it's performance is itself the act of interpretation um, that then, you know, and, and it's, it's more like, um, cyclical um, yes. and, and and ongoing. Yeah, I really wanted to draw on the page. You know, yeah. this thing. There is um, really somewhere on my in in the margin notes that I wrote where I have that. I think somewhere maybe in the Boal and Russell one as well of this this coming around <laughs> somewhere there. 
we're really used, and the we in this is white Protestants in the U.S., <laughs> let me be real specific, in the idea that we act our faith out. Mm-hmm. But what we forget is we also act our faith in. Mm-hmm. And those two are never separated. Yeah. And you're, you've done work in theater, and you know that when, when a cast is interpreting a script, they're walking around, they're trying this, they're doing that. It's, mm-hmm. it's their voices and their bodies, and it's yeah. acting it out as part of you under, how you understand what it means and act it out differently the next time. Yes, yeah, 100%. You know, it has this, and, and, you, and you find something, and then it comes back, and then that maybe leads to finding something else. And then, I mean, the thing I often think about also is that so many scripts that you actually read, you know, that that published final form is usually not actually finalised until, like, after, like, you know, the first Broadway or London run or what have you, uh, and it's itself changed and um, adapted via what actors have brought to it, what audiences, like, when did audiences laugh? <laughs> Maybe they'll we'll cut that or add something there. You know, it, it itself is so entangled in the actual um, nature of performance. Right. Unless you're reading... Uh a Beckett play, mm. you know, this is different. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he had less care for what anyone else um, brought to the table. That's very, yeah. So something that, that kind of runs through the book and you, and you kind of really focus on it toward the end is this idea that our performance is a performance in hope for the spirit. Um, yeah. And I, I found that really captivating uh, as a way of thinking of what we're doing and, and yeah, and, and the kind of object and nature of our hope. Um, can you, you know, don't give away the whole farm. People are going to read the book, obviously. But yeah, can you talk to us a bit about this and, and I guess where that kind of emerged from in, in, in how you started to you know, think about this project? So the the overarching, overarching question of the book is why church? Why go to church? Why do we do this? And... Um, I can give a lot of answers to that, but at the, I think the most basic one is I have, things have happened in church that matter to me and I want them to happen again. And it's not a specific event. It is the the sense of the spirit, the experience of the spirit, and not experience in, a, in an individ, individualistic way, but uh, um, not the way I experience picking up a glass, but but that sense of the movement of the spirit, that magic, that juju, that mm. charism, that whatever we don't know how to describe, that's the best stuff I've known in this world. And I want more. Mm. And I've seen it in church. So part of I want to form myself in such a way that I might taste that flavor again. Um, and part of it too is is about the nature of hope. Yeah. Uh, my favorite book title is a book I've never read. It's about a women's basketball team, and I really have no interest in basketball. You know, no, not really any sport. Um, but the title is "In These Girls, Hope Is a Muscle," mm. and I really think that's true for all of us. That hope can't. It has to involve our whole person, body, mind, emotion, will. It has to be all of us. And that includes, and and liturgical practices and church is a way to shape oneself into hope. 
Mm. In the context that I'm in right now, and and a lot of people in the world, it's hard to be hopeful these yeah. days. Yeah. And so remembering that hope is not just an emotion or a sunny outlook, mm. but it's it's something we do. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. That was a long answer. It was a great answer, though. So, <laughs> so that was, you know, they always say, you know, no, no good play is too long and no bad play is too short. So it's the same with answers. Um, <laughs> Uh, there was one other thing I was, I was going to bring up that I think was really helpful as well um, is, again, this is in the chapter on, on Letty Russell and Augusto Boal, which, which I really loved as well. And, um, I mean, one of the things I did, and I, you know, affirming again that I loved so much was this actual engagement with, with specific practitioners and theologians and the, and the conversations that emerged and really attending to the work. Um, but one of the things, again, which was this idea of performance, and I guess is is a kind of the messy temporality of performance, um, yeah. which we touched on a bit before with how we're talking about scripture and performance, but this idea of um, performance moving between past, present, and future. Always a present event, performance repeats the past and rehearses the future. Yet the lines of causality are not simply from past to present to future. Uh, the future to which we aspire affects our present performance and our interpretation of the past. Um, which, I, you know, and you were kind of talking about that early on with that idea of the, the figure skater or, or, or being a daughter-in-law. Yeah. But I guess, you know, for people who are, you know, it doesn't have to be just about this thing, but having read, written this book, sorry, and having engaged with people having read it over the last few years and thinking about this kind of, concept of performance that looks to something while being informed but is here are, are there like things that quickly come to mind or practically come to mind that you're like ways that we can open ourselves or, or start to think again about what we're doing in churches you know for those who are reading this book or listening to this interview who are in some level of leadership or engagement in their local churches ways that you feel that there's to open ourselves to this kind of this kind of posture of hope, this kind of, you know, temp, you know, eventness of church, but that also has this forward and backness. Um, yeah, th this is now a long and very rambling question, but, but yeah, that, that things that have struck you as churches that are trying to work toward this um, and open themselves in this way that, of ways that that process might begin. Um, yeah. yeah. So that's a great question. So Letty Russell, a um, Reformed theologian, latter half of the 20th century, she, um, into the 21st, she, um, she would start her theology with eschatology. Mm. You know, Karl Rahner starts with the human person. Karl Barth starts with Jesus. Different people start different places. She started at the end. She's like, what is the future that God hopes for, for us, mm -hmm. that God intends for us? And then we work towards that. Yeah. And I found that frustrating many times as her student and, and someone who did some activism with her. It's like, oh, my goodness, woman, can we not mm -hmm. be more direct? Can we? I remember we were we were organizing against something that was happening in our institution and she was being playful about it mm. like letty why don't we just go at this whole hog just 
fight for it. And she said, on the other side of this, we want to be in communion with these people. So she always had that vision of what is, what is the future God intends. And as frustrating as I used to find that, I now find it incredibly wise. And there's, there's a sense, I mean, as Christians, we affirm that God can do a new thing. Mm. And right now, there's such a temptation to not hope and to say, oh my goodness, well, this happened and then this happened. And, and there's the pandemic and climate change and economic inequality and this and this. And we're just kind of trying to make some little incremental change and that it and whatever the future looks like has to come directly from this past. Mm. All that's true. And yet God can do a new thing. Mm. So to think about what is the future God intends and how can we just try and make that even for a minute happen now? Mm. I think if we give up hope for a radically new future, that's when it will become impossible. Uh, Letty said, Jesus is a memory of the future. So when we want to know what the future God intends for us is, we look back to Jesus and we try and live that in the present. So that's that past, present, a future that you, you were mentioning. But at this, at this point in time, it's that eschatological hope that God can do a new thing, and the future God intends will be the future. Um, we are called to be part of that. Yeah. How wonderful. But Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And that is a really lovely place to end, uh, as, the sub, as the subtitle uh, says, bodily hope. So, um, Shannon, Craig O'Snell, thank you so much for coming. Folks, I, I hope this has more than convinced you to pick up The Empty Church, Theatre, Theology and Bodily Hope out with Oxford University Press. Uh, tell your theological library to have it in, uh, get it in and get it for yourself and get it for your neighbour. Uh, thank you for joining us uh, for this conversation. Is there anything else you want to uh, mention, promote, um, draw people's attention to? No. Thank you. This has been great fun. <laughs> yes, it really has been. So thank you for the conversation. And folks, I'll see you all next week. Bye.